following sermon is from Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you've never reached out to Calvary before, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. And now, here's Dr. Dan. Good morning. Happy Valentine's Day. Go Chiefs. And uh, really quick, before we get started into the message, we are going to have a, a vote regarding um, beginning our sanctuary remodel. That will be, I think we'll do it 10 minutes after church is over. That way you guys can get your kids and the children's church people don't want to fight me. So um, we're going to have that today. The, the, Brad will explain more about it, but we're, we're presenting the idea of uh, doing the sanctuary remodel in two phases, which would start, well, pretty much immediately. So... Uh, just being here for that about, we'll say 10 minutes after the time uh, service is over, and we'll, we'll reconvene in here for that meeting. If you have your Bibles, well, we're going to be kind of all over the place. So if you want to, you can pick Genesis chapter 1, or Ephesians chapter 5, or 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But we're looking at, uh, we're beginning a series, really, February is family month at Calvary. So we're going to kind of talk about some topics related to that. When Chrissy and I were uh, engaged to be married, we did premarital counseling uh, with Brother Charles. And uh, he was an elder, older gentleman, older than us, had a lot of wisdom. And I still remember almost being like, your counseling here is awfully simplistic. But you know what I've come to come to know after a few years later? He was right. Now, there's more that could have been said, but he said basically, couples fight over two things, sex and money. You know what, that's not all there is to say, but it covers a lot of ground. So we're going to look at, uh, one of the other things we tend to cause, have problems in our relationships is communication, which oftentimes isn't always just a matter of the guy doesn't talk enough or something like that. It's, we don't always realize that men and women are different. And so what I'm sharing with you today is actually a, a, a reheated version of a seven-year-old sermon. And as I went over it, I said, Boy, there's a lot of new verbiage that's been added in our culture. One of this is just we've sort of accepted the idea that men and women aren't really different. And I'm like, no, that's, that's not true. Men and women are still different. And we have new terms like mansplaining, which you'll see why that's relevant in our conversation this morning. And then people got really angry at patriarchy, which I define patriarchy as the understanding that a man feels responsible for taking care of his family. That has become an ugly word in our culture. But as a Christian at, at Calvary Baptist Church, we unapologetically stand on the scriptures to the best of our ability and know-how. That doesn't mean I intend to ever be un ugly when I uh, engage culture, but it w does mean we accept still that the Bible is authoritative and man's opinions change repeatedly, consistently. With that said, we live in a culture and a time in our country where we are... our. Uh, it's getting harder and harder to find durable, durable marriages. And a lot of times, even those marriages that are built to last are less than the joyful institution that God intended them to be. Strong marriages are the foundation of a thriving family. Thriving families are the foundation of a thriving community. And thriving communities are the foundation of a thriving nation. And the cause of many of the struggles that our nation faces is built upon the breakdown of the family. 
If we want to see our nation revive, if we want to, then we need to see families revive. And reviving our families requires wisdom. And there is no better source for wisdom that we need to renew our families than the Word of God. February is family month, and so we'll be looking at marriage beginning today and next week. But husbands and wives need godly wisdom if they are to have healthy marriages that are built to last. Our children need us to forge marriages that are built to last. So here's what I want you to know. Husbands, if we are wise and want marriages that are built to last, we must choose to show love to our wives in ways that they can understand. Wives, you are, if you are wise and want marriages that are built to last, you must choose to show respect to your husbands in a way that he can understand. So next week's message is going to be geared for the men today. The goal is to help ladies understand their husbands a little bit better. So sisters, here's the summary of the wisdom from God's word that you will need to help understand your husband a little better. By God's design, your husband has been hardwired for conquest, hierarchy, sexuality, friendship, and to provide counsel and insight. These are strengths that your husband has. Those strengths are not exclusive to men, but they are exerted and expressed in exclusively or uniquely male ways. So now let's consider those strengths. First off, conquest. Appreciate his desire to work and achieve. Genesis 2, 15 and 17. Appreciate his desire to work and achieve. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So Adam got to work before Eve, Eve came along. He was designed to work and achieve. And that drive continues for men to this day. So powerful is this drive to work and achieve that many die within two years after retirement because their satisfaction and significance are so bound up with their work in the field. They even have a term for this. It's called the instrumentality of the male. And it is present in, bo present in boys from a young age because they are called to be hunters or workers or doers. And he wants to make his conquest in the field of life. The instrumentality of the male is the reason why, no matter how hard many moms try to stop it, your son will view everything as a gun or a bazooka. I remember looking over across the breakfast table and my son had eaten his peanut butter and jelly sandwich into a pistol. My kid, we are not gun people at my house, yet my children have consistently made guns out of Legos and Tinker Toys, and for my part, when they got planes and tanks, I'd pick them up and I would demonstrate how you're supposed to make tank sounds, and then I would make stuff fall down when I would shoot it with the tank. Because we are men, and this is what we do. We have, there is instrumentality of the male. This idea that we are strong and we're trying to fight and protect and put down enemies, this is hardwired into us. That's why your boys at school will draw guns on pieces of paper because of the instrumentality of the male. The feminist movement wants to view this trait as evidence that boys are dangerous predators because of this tendency, but it is only dangerous, it is only dangerous if good men don't take the time 
to properly direct and mold this trait that God has given to your boys. It requires good godly men to come alongside and direct it. From the beginning, men have been called to work and achieve. Now, this isn't to say that women don't want to work and achieve, but it is to say that working and achieving is a stronger desire for men than it is for women. Even today, most young women prefer men who can provide enough for her to stay home if she wants to. She wants options. The good-willed woman marries for love, not money, but she usually is keenly aware of the need to make a nest. She wants the freedom to choose to work or stay home, work part-time or work full-time, stay at home until the kids are a certain age, and then go back to work or go back to work as soon as possible or stay home as long as possible. Comedian Tim Allen says that men have two options, work or go to jail. <laughs> and most men prefer it that way because working and achieving is hardwired into our DNA. He wants to make his conquest in the field of life. He does so for the glory of God and the good of the people that he is responsible for. In the marriage relationship, good-willed men do what they do for the admiration of one woman. I actually saw this play out on a TV show that Chrissy and I watch regularly. I would say they're probably not a group of Bible-believing Christians that make this movie, but, or this TV show, but this, this guy and this girl are dating and they're going to get married and there's another girl in the picture who's trying to steal the man away. And then the, so the other girl says to her friend, but did you notice when he was showing off it was to you that he was looking? Because a good-willed man does what he does for the admiration of one woman. After you fell in love with him, you married him, and he felt that you believed in him, and he appreciated that, perhaps more than you ever realized. He thought that you would be his cheerleader forever, but years later, his work appears to compete with your marriage and the family. And instead of admiring him and his efforts, you feel neglected. He, however, has not changed. He still does what he does for the admiration of one woman. So how can a wife show her appreciation to her husband for his desire to work and achieve? Put a note somewhere so that he will find it later, telling him that you appreciate his desire and respect his desire to work and achieve. Make the focus on his desire more than on his performance. Fair enough. Now I want to move into the danger zone, the stuff that gets people outside of the church mad at us and increasingly gets people inside of the church up in arms. Hierarchy. Hierarchy. Appreciate his desire to provide and protect. Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the body, out of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is a passage that makes many women, Christian women included, uncomfortable. In part because the logic of those who oppose God and his words sounds so, well, logical and perhaps attractive. And perhaps they have experienced some men who were less than good-willed men. But why is this such a contentious issue? Well, that word submit is the same word that is used in mixed martial arts to describe an athlete 
twisting an arm or cinching in a chokehold until the other person taps out. Up until that moment of submission, it is a fight. But submission in the biblical passage is calling for a willful decision, not for a fight for dominance. Another challenge here is that men and women view this issue differently. Women tend to view this as being about dominance and control. But sisters, please understand that a good-willed men, good-willed men view this as about responsibility, not rights. It is, about, it is not about dominance. Rather, it is about who is responsible, responsible to provide and protect. Desire to provide and protect is present in, many, in men in many ways, some of which go unnoticed. For example, each year in the United States, billions of dollars are spent on life insurance policies, and the vast majority of that money is spent by men. Why? Because it gives men a sense of security knowing that if something were to happen to them, their family, particularly the one woman, will be taken care of. We view it as our responsibility to take care of those that we love. Now perhaps you wonder, can't a man become abusive if his wife submits to his authority? That is possible. But a wife submitting to her husband will not lead a good-willed man to abuse his, his wife. But an evil-willed man will become abusive regardless of what the family dynamics are. Regardless of what the family dy dynamics are. Ladies, I just have a question. Don't answer it. Do you view your husband as a good-willed man or an evil-willed man? And if you think he's evil-willed, did you know it before you got married? Now, most of you know full well your husband is a good-willed man. How it all plays out in practice is another question. But we'll be addressing the men next Sunday. Men feel the need to provide for and protect their family very keenly. We tend to be sensitive to put-downs in this area of providing for our families. I'll give you one example. I used to work with a guy, and he shared with me how he bought his fiancé the best ring that he could afford. And she promptly, and he said with a chuckle that she returned it, threw in a little bit extra money and bought a more expensive ring. Now, he said that with a chuckle, but it wasn't the ha-ha-ha, that's kind of funny chuckle. It was more the chuckle of, I'm so angry and feel so disrespected that I don't know what to do except try to laugh it off. In that type of situation, his fiancée's response, she, he described her attitude as, well, if you loved me, you would want me to have what I want. Isn't my happiness more important than your pride? In that type of situation, many men know that if they share what's really on their heart, she is just going to get mad at him and tell him what, that he is wrong to feel that way or give him the silent treatment. Or she will start bawling because she knows it will make him feel guilty. And once again, he is the bad guy and she is the righteous Similar scenarios occur like this frequently. For example, when a, when a lady's family is able to buy a new house and the man uh, invite, she invites her friend over and her friend becomes jealous of the house and says something to the husband like, you need to get a second job. Houses, cars, vacations. Many men are made to feel inadequate in moments like these because of a trait that women ha tend to have called the insatiability of the female. Interestingly, as I wrote that down, I, I, I remembered a song from Prince. He said, uh, he said, maybe I'm just like my mother. She's never satisfied. That's a description of the insatiability of the female. 
It is a strength in that it causes women to want to work for and strive for the ideal. But its backsided weakness is that it can lead to a tendency to never be satisfied. This can wreak havoc on the self-worth of her husband who is charged by God with providing for her. The story about the ring is true. My friend's wife did not intend to hurt her husband, but she most certainly did. And he, of course, was deflated and then angry. And then she begins to mentally record how he is acting. And then she tells her friends, and then her friends respond by saying, Oh, girl, I wouldn't put up with that. A wiser friend might say something like, So he just started acting like that out of the blue for no reason? What was happening before? I see. What did, what did you say? So you put down his ability to provide for his family. No wonder he was upset. You should go apologize to him and thank him for providing for you. Chrissy, start the car. I think I'm in hot water. <laughs> See, that kind of wisdom is hard to find. And when it is found, it is often ignored because we usually want to hear stuff that makes us look good and our spouse look bad. In this case, the husband is the bad guy and you are just the innocent little doe who just trampled to, happened to trample all over his manhood with your sharp little hooves. Start the car. You may not see yourself as putting your husband down during a heated discussion about finances. You may just be trying to let him know how you feel so that he can respond with love and understanding. Well, because your husband was created with a hierarchical, hierarchical mindset, your comments cut him down. And let's add, he's also a prideful human being, just like you. So what can the wife do to help? Look for ways to show your husband that you appreciate his desire to protect and provide for you. This will communicate respect to your husband, which is how he spells love. I've, seen, I've done this survey more than once. I asked men in a room, I said, would you rather be respected or loved? And almost, no, I've never had anybody say all, anything different. They would always say, I'd rather be respected than loved. That doesn't mean they don't want to be loved. If they had to choose between one or the other, they're going to choose respect. Ladies, that means that your husband spells love, respect. Never in word or in body language put down how much money he makes. Ladies, you may think your husband can't communicate, but I assure you, he gets really good at reading your body language and knows when you do not approve and you, when you are not pleased. Quietly and respectfully voice concerns about finances and try to offer solutions for where you might be able to cut spending. And men, if she brings this up to you, hear her out. But that's next week's sermon. Men, we are really used to getting beat up at church on uh, even on Father's Day, it occurred to me on a Father's Day, I said, boy, we're supposed to be honoring dads, and my pastor is just hammering fathers. We kind of have gotten used to that. We're not always used to the, the ladies getting, getting suggestions. Authority. Appreciate his desire to be strong and to lead. Ephesians 5, 22 and 23. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. 
a good-willed man does not use his authority as a club. He acts responsibly and lovingly. No, he doesn't do it perfectly, so stop that. He doesn't do it perfectly, but he does use his responsibility lovingly and caringly as the leader that God has asked him to be. Now, many men feel that they want, many women rather, feel that they want a husband to be the leader and make decisions. That is, so long as the decisions meet her approval. Does this mean that a wife has to submit to something that is wrong, illegal, immoral, or sinful? No. But it does mean that your husband feels it is his responsibility to die for you if necessary. Jesus set the example for him. But don't minimize that. Feeling that it is your responsibility to die for someone else is no small matter. And I don't believe that there would be a woman listening to this who would, want a, who would not want a husband who would view it as his responsibility to, to die to protect her and the kids. At minimum, that makes him 51% responsible for leading the family. But if you say you have 51% of the responsibility, but I have veto power, you will make him feel like a failure. And he will move into passive irresponsibility. Passive irresponsibility. Have you ever seen passive irresponsibility amongst men in America? I have. It is running rampant in our country, and it is destabilizing the family. But perhaps you tried to be respectful, but you criticized him. It was rooted in fear, and he doesn't understand that. So what can a wife do? Well, tell him you are thankful for his strength and that you enjoy being able to lean on him at times. No, ladies, that does not make you weak. It means you are grateful for the gift that God has given you. Support his self-image as a leader. Don't say in word or in deed, you are responsible, but we're equal, so don't you dare make a decision that I don't agree with. Praise his good decisions. And when you do disagree with him, do it privately, not in front of the kids or your friends or your family. Honor his authority in front of others. Thankfully, that part of the sermon's over. We're going to move on to some less controversial topics. Can I tell you, sometimes when you preach, uh, you know you're stepping on cultural hot-button issues, but I wrote this thing like eight years ago, and I just kind of updated it a little bit. For the most part, it's the exact same thing. When you do that and you know you're stepping on hot-button issues, what it really tells me is the culture has shifted, and I feel it in my gut when I stand up to preach. This next one seems awfully simple until you realize there's a phrase out, or word out there called mansplaining. Essentially, it is a getting angry that men explain stuff. When I first thought of that, I heard that, I thought, that's what I do every Sunday. So I'm a bad guy. Insights. Appreciate his desire to analyze and counsel. People call that mansplaining. God calls it a gift. Let's look at it. 1 Timothy 2.14 Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Became a transgressor. Now, first off, um, just so you know, in the Garden of Eden, uh, what Paul is saying there is that Adam wasn't tricked. He just looked at his wife and said, I'm going to follow her lead and her voice instead of God's. Ladies, find a man who will listen to God's voice even more than your own. It may annoy you, but you'll be better off for it. 
Is this verse claiming that men cannot be deceived or that women cannot analyze? No. But what it does mean is that the woman's intuition should be removed from the mythical status that it has achieved. I'll say that again. It does not mean that a woman cannot analyze or that men cannot be deceived. What it does mean is that women's intuition should be removed from the mythical status that it has achieved. If you go to your husband with your feelings, does he have the right to say your feelings are invalid? Now, men, please don't respond with that statement. Even after I wrote it down, it sounds different when you type it, but when you read it and you say it out loud. Listen, uh, but does your husband have the, 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 can he say, without being sent to the couch for a week, can he say your feelings are invalid? Even, will you accept that even if he sounds like Dr. Spock while doing it? Can he say you're overreacting? Or will you, become, will you become angry at him for attempting to analyze the reality that you just shared with him? We often attempt to silence the voice of people who are telling us what we do not want to hear, even when they are right. We silence the voices of people even when we know that they are right. I have seen people do it frequently, and I hate to admit it, I've done it myself. I believe that one of the consequences of criticizing men for attempting to solve problems for their wives is that it silences the voice of the one man who loves her more than anybody else in the world. Ladies, is it possible that you have too high of an opinion of your natural discernment and intuition? Don't worry, ladies, your husband's going to get it next week. Is it possible that you have too high of an opinion of your natural discernment and intuition? Is it possible that you might be deceived on certain fronts? Is it possible that you could use your husband's insights because you can't see what he sees? Is it possible? Many men are afraid to speak because they are always saying things and thinking things that their wife deems is wrong. If a man is in the woods and he says something, and his wife isn't there to hear him, is he still wrong? I suspect that joke was funny and popular because it has a ring of truth to it. What can a wife do? She can recognize that her husband's problem-solving approach is his male brand of empathy. Him solving problems for you, trying to anyway, is his male brand of empathy. He's trying to help. Let him fix things. And then applaud him for his solution. You want to see your... Uh, one of the things I've come to know about men, and I'm going to share this with you, coaches have figured this out. If you want a man who will jump, charge through a wall, let him know you believe in him, and then applaud him when he succeeds. Ladies, that might work. Let's move on. Relationship. Men and women are different. I don't care what our country says. It's the facts. Relationship. Appreciate his desire for shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder friendship. So Song of Solomon 5.16. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Men are usually a little different than women when it comes to friendship. We bond more by sharing experiences than by sharing our feelings. That doesn't mean men never do that. But I'm probably not going to call Chad this week and say, hey, buddy, we need to get together. i got to talk about this. Can I share with you my feelings? 
even if I'm doing that, I'm not going to say, I'm, I got I to gotta, I gotta process. I, I got to share what's going on. We're not going to do that. Chris, uh, you want to get together and talk about our feelings later? No, he's, he's laughing. We don't do that. What we do do is quote movies to each other because that's how we share an experience of watching a movie. You ever, ladies, you ever seen guys do this? I'm sure ladies do it too, but probably 10 to 1 I've seen men do that versus women, all right? We're just weird, okay? It's how we do things, how we get down. Uh, we bond more by sharing experiences rather than feelings, and we do stuff side by side and often say very little. If he asks you to watch the ball game with him, he is bonding with you. If he calls you to come and sit with him and he doesn't say much, he's not mad at you. He is simply bonding with you the way that he does with his friends. It isn't wrong. It's just different. Appreciate it and participate in it. And finally, sexuality. Appreciate his desire for sexual intimacy. 1 Corinthians, am I allowed to talk about this at a Baptist church? 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Boy, the Bible sure is honest with human nature, isn't it? Mostly we, our country, our culture doesn't like what the Bible says, but mostly it just doesn't want to acknowledge that the Bible is correct when it assesses human nature. God has made men such that they don't need a lot of prep work to get in the mood, if you know what I mean. That is a strength that women tend to not have. Your husband's sexual tension builds the same way that your emotions build, and they need release. This is a strong need for men. But hear me loud and clear, men and women. Like all strengths, there is a backsided weakness. That weakness is that it is a very powerful source of temptation. And for this reason, for a wife to ignore her husband's need is a grave oversight. It is an oversight that is happening all too frequently, and it is harming marriages. It has been said that the devil does everything he can to get a man and a woman together before they get married, and then everything he can to keep them apart after they get married. Whether it be children, work, exhaustion, headaches, or the fact that some husbands don't communicate love the way their husbands want them to, any one of these things can keep her from being in the mood. But 1 Corinthians 7, 5 doesn't say don't deprive each other unless you're not in the mood. It says don't deprive each other. It has been said that men are like microwaves and women are like crockpots. Sisters, you knew this was true the moment I said it. Now imagine if your husband didn't talk to you for three days or three weeks or three months. You would be furious, and rightly so. Are you catching the point? If not, ask your husband afterwards. He would gladly tell you what I mean. So what can you do? The obvious answer is don't meet his desire for sexual intimacy with denial. I'm not in the mood, or worse yet, I don't have that need. Well, he does. Better yet, from time to time, 
initiate sexual intimacy. Happy Valentine's Day, brothers. You're like, can we just said that like throughout the sermon? Husbands, if we are wise and want marriages that are built to last, and not just built to last, but joy-giving, life-giving. See, we're for durable marriages, but we're also for marriages that are joyous because they bring the most glory to God and the most good to us. So husbands, if we are wise and want marriages that are built to last, we must choose to show love to our wives in a way that they can understand. That will be what we look at next week. I'll do my best, ladies. I'm not one of you. Wives, if you are wise and want a marriage that is built to last, you must choose to show respect to your husband in a way that he can understand. He's not one of your friends. He is a friend, but he's not one of the girls. You know that instinctively. God designed marriage to be a demonstration of the gospel. Jesus ultimately, when you look at this conversation that's happening in Ephesians 5 about, uh, about marriage and how husbands and wives are to relate to each other, ultimately what the point of all this is that marriages are designed by God to be a portrayal of the gospel. Because what does Jesus do? He's the example for the men. He comes and he see, knows, he knows what, we, what, what we need, men and women, what men and women need more than anything was to have their sins forgiven because we are all desperately wicked and sinful. So Jesus Christ, he goes to the cross, he dies on the cross for our sins, to pay for our sin debt, to make it possible, to provide for us the forgiveness of sins. And then he rises again from the from the dead on the third day and we as Christians male and female we recognize we come to Jesus in faith saying we believe that you are the Savior the Son of God who has died to pay for our sin debt and it is in this faith that we are saved and when we as Christians and as a church glorify God and receive what he has given us it is a picture of the gospel but when we, and when we put our trust in him it shows that we trust his ability to provide for and protect us but when we reject our off, his offer of salvation, we are rejecting his wisdom and counsel. And we are saying that we think that we don't need what he has to offer. We don't need him. Or it says that we think we can get salvation from God's judgment from some other way. God is, or we think that God is not wise enough to really warn us of our need for salvation. But he absolutely is. So my invitation before we close out our service, listen, if you're a, a wife and you heard this, maybe uh, you can think, you can point out, you heard the sermon, you said, you know, there's things that I should have done differently and I wish I had done differently. You know, the only answer is, is, to, is to repentance. Same as it is for your husband when he finds out he's been doing things the wrong way. To repent. Ask God for forgiveness. Ask God for the strength to, to live differently but also to ask your spouse for forgiveness for how they failed you. And then change course. Because ultimately repentance is not just saying, I know I'm going the wrong way. It's saying, I know I'm doing things the wrong way, but I'm going to change and do, the, do things the right way to the best of my ability. As Christians, you repented the day you got saved. You turned from sin to Jesus, but throughout our lives, we never really stopped repenting until we get to heaven. I don't know about you, but I have not arrived and become perfectly like Christ. 
And so that's the invitation for the Christian. Whether you're male or female, as you've gone through, you can think of things and how you did things that you should have done differently. The only answer is to respond and ask for forgiveness from God and your spouse. Finally, as we think about the fact that marriage is intended to demonstrate the gospel, the gospel is rather simple. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into our world, lived a sinless life, died on the cross in our place. He never sinned, but his death was paying for our sins. It was providing what we needed to be forgiven, born again, and reconciled to God. And the answer, the, God doesn't want you to say, I believe that that's true. God also wants you to turn from sin and turn to Jesus in faith. And see, here's something interesting that happens, and it affects every area of your life. Once you repent of sin, turn to Jesus in faith, and this really happens in a moment of time, but you also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit does is enable you to learn and grow and live life as God has intended whether that be as a single person, a single dad, a single mom, as a parent, as a grandparent, or just as a, a man or woman trying to make their way in the world with God's help, he enables you to do that through the Holy Spirit. This morning, if you'd like to receive Jesus as your Savior, receive that gift of eternal life and a whole bunch of other things that come with it, I want to invite you, before we take Lord's Supper, if you're interested, the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm going to lead us in a very simple prayer. If you'd like to call on Jesus for salvation, he will hear you and he will save you. And you can begin a new journey with the Savior this morning. Let's everyone bow our heads and close our eyes. And let's pray. And if you want to call on Jesus and you don't know how, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. There's no magic in it, but you take the words and you repeat them to the Lord. Dear God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I've broken your rules in ways that I understood and probably in ways that I didn't understand. But I'm turning from sin, turning to Jesus in faith. I believe that he died on the cross in my place to pay for my sins and rose again the third day. And now in this quiet moment of prayer, I call out to you in faith asking you to save me and to forgive me and to give me eternal life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, that is the beginning of a journey with Christ. And I would love to talk with you afterwards about it if, if you'd like to be. The next step normally is baptism. And so if you prayed a prayer to receive Christ this morning, come and talk to me. We want to schedule a time to to get together and talk about the next step, which is baptism. You've been listening to Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. Thank you for listening.